You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. I have been speaking the last several weeks on the life of Jacob. And this is part three, and I'm calling this, God was in this place, and I knew it not. God was in this place, and I knew it not. A great discovery uh, that the patriarch Jacob made. Um, As I mentioned, I have been highlighting his life. And he is an example of someone who, though obviously flawed, met God in life-changing ways. We can gain great encouragement as we look at his life, primarily because God made it his business to extend himself on Jacob's behalf time after time. Now, several weeks ago, we looked at, um, uh, it was part one, and I entitled that, All These Things Are Against Me. And the main point, and I think it's something we all need to keep in mind, uh, is that um, although we may feel that everything going on is against us, just the opposite is true for every believer. All these things are not against us. Actually, Romans 8.28 and Romans 8.38 and 39 uh, make uh, two tremendous points. But the key to these two verses are these two words, convinced and persuaded. Convinced and persuaded. It's the things we're convinced and persuaded about spiritually that actually make the difference. Not just the things we may consider, but Paul said so. We are convinced, convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who've been called to fulfill his design purpose. Romans 8, 28. Um, it says, for we are convinced that God works together for good all these things for those who love him, the called according to his purpose. So be convinced. Let the Lord convince you. Romans eight thirty eight. Now this is the apostle Paul. For I am persuaded... Those of you at home, and I cannot hear you, why don't you say, I am persuaded. For I, Oh, thank you. For I am persuaded. Here's the question. Are you convinced? Are you persuaded? Or are you teetering between two opinions? I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor media, nor things present, nor things to come, nor COVID-19, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, nor any other blog post shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So two challenges already this morning. Are you convinced and are you persuaded? And I will tell you this, no matter what state our lives are in, we did not endure the things the apostle Paul endured and he could still be convinced and he could still be persuaded. He could write from prison about joy because of the reality of who Christ was in his life. Knocked off his horse on the Damascus Road, blind, completely had his life turned upside down, became a completely different person. That's also the life of Jacob. Jacob was a rascal. 
Jacob was the worst person than anybody in this church. Well, there are only eight people, but still. He was a rascal. But Paul said, nothing can separate us. All right, in part two, and I would recommend you go back and listening to these. I know some of you may be um, media weary, nevertheless. Burrow in there, get blessed anyway. Jacob part two, the main point in my second message was that God initiated a wrestling match with Jacob until Jacob broke through into a new place of hope and victory, to a new place of fulfillment. We talk about we need to seek the Lord. Well, let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. He's seeking you. He's after you. And we think, well, um, I'm, I, I, uh, I found the Lord. Well, I think he found us first. I think we forget how very serious he is about us and how diligently he, uh, he, he pursues us. And that is absolutely the story of Jacob's life. Jacob gets a zero credit for any of the realities of kindness and goodness and spirituality that he demonstrated over his years. And um, I am afraid when it's all said and done, there's not a soul who's ever met Jesus that will have a thing to brag about. We'll discover it was all by faith and was all the mercy and grace of God. And so here we come to Jacob part three. God is in this place and I knew it not. You may have, you may hear me say that 20 times this morning because it's one of the most remarkable concepts and ideas you could find. It's the reality of the kingdom of God, not recognizing what goes on in our everyday lives, not recognizing always who it is that is closer to us than the closest person we've ever known. So, but Jacob's life parallels our lives in several ways, especially now. In every episode when God changed Jacob's life, and they were numerous, you usually found Jacob in an isolated and a fearful state. In fact, loneliness and anxiety may have been the very factors that motivated Jacob to be open to the Lord. More than anything, though, God pursued Jacob. We talk about Jacob wrestling with an angel. Well, that's not accurate. An angel of the Lord or the Lord himself wrestled with Jacob. God initiated the wrestling match. God brought him to a point where his weakness was manifest. And you find over in the book of Isaiah that Jacob cried out to the Lord and he received favor and mercy from God with tears. Jacob had a breakthrough in a difficult time. A real life-changing breakthrough. Oh, now we look at Jacob in an earlier part of his life where God appeared to him at Bethel as he fled for his life from his brother Esau after stealing the blessing and the birthright. And it's amazing. When you look at Jacob's life, at one point, he's conning his brother out of his uh, birthright with the, with some food. Another time he lies to his father, gets the blessing. Then he's running from Esau who wants to kill him. Then he's, uh, goes and works for his uncle Laban, who was as big a con man as Jacob was. Laban tricks him into seven years labor for a woman he didn't want to marry, but he thought he married her till he woke up the next day. 
And then he works another seven years for the sister he really wanted to marry. Then he pulls a fast one with some kind of a strike poles. I mean, just, it's unbelievable what these people were like. And I think maybe when it's unbelievable what we're like. We just don't recognize maybe there's some con in some of us. What do you think? There's some, uh, there's some, uh, deceivers and deception in some of us. What do you think? I talked to a guy last week. He doesn't go to church because all the hypocrites in the church. I said, well, you go to the super Walmart twice a week. They're full of, it's full of hypocrites too. What do you, everybody's a hypocrite. I don't know if you don't get that. You're missing a major truth there. We shouldn't be. We own it, we can get through it. Okay, so we want to read verses 10 through 22 of Genesis 28 to set the stage a little bit more than I've said it. Verse 10, now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took of the stones of that place and he put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it, and he said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, Your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, the east, to the north and south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God rehearses to um, Jacob the same promise he had given to his forefathers, Abraham and Isaac, that they would own this land that their descendants would be as the dust of the earth, the stars of the sky, and that in you and in your seed, singular, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that idea of being blessed and the idea of in your seed, Paul makes the um, conclusion in Galatians that it was not seeds but seed, and that seed was Christ. That in Christ, in one single person, Christ Jesus, the seed of Abraham, the seed of Isaac, the seed of Jacob, all the nations of the world have had access to the kingdom of God. And that was one of the promises that Jacob got as he was running away from one situation where he conned people into another situation where he was going to um, mutually con each other, (laughs) his uncle Laban. Hey, those are our spiritual forefathers. Those are the patriarchs of the church, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 15, the Lord says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep. Let me say that again. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep, and this is what he said. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. 
and he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Remarkable. A woman told me one time um, there was some question over the presence of God and God moving. She said, God can't be somewhere and you not know it. And I said, no, just the opposite is true. God can be in places you'd never expect and you don't know it. You don't know it. And there's a key here and we need need to really take a look at this. Um, In verse 11, it says, um, so Jacob came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. As I've looked at verse 11, I've recognized that that word stone actually means building stone. Jacob used a building stone for a pillow. That's the technical term we find in the language of the Old Testament. Well, the Bible uses metaphors and it used types to convey deeper meanings. Types, meaning symbols, are used to represent something else that can illustrate truths and ideas that can encourage us in our faith. So when I, and I've, I have read this for years and I've asked the Lord, there's got to be some significance. Why would a man use a rock for a pillow? Can you imagine anything less comfortable than a stone for a pillow? Maybe a brick mason who's, I don't know, but no, I don't know. So he uses a rock or a building stone to rest his head on. And I believe this, it has to do with resting your mind, your thoughts, yourself on that rock, which was Christ. Over and again in the scripture, Jesus is compared to both a stone and a rock. Uh, he told us that we should build our house on a rock, not on the sand. And that was the sayings of Jesus. We find out that Jesus being rejected fulfilled um, the Psalms where it says the stone, the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus himself said about the revelation of who he was to Peter, on this rock I will do what? Build my church. And then you find this marvelous Old Testament prophecy and picture in Daniel chapter 2, 34 and 35, verse 44, if you want to look it up. But there's this um, image, and the image is a combination of gold and silver, and um, Bible commentators have said that that image was a picture in order of all the world governments and leaders, and then at the bottom it had feet that was a combo. I can't remember all the details. Of, the feet was of um, clay and bronze, and at a given point, a rock struck that image of all the world dominators down through the ages, and it crumbled. And that rock became a mountain that covered the entire earth. And it's a picture of Jesus the rock. It's a picture of the power of the gospel when it's expressed accurately and clearly. And so what does it say then that Jacob used a stone for a pillow or for a headrest? It's a picture of Jacob in all his turmoil finding a resting place in God. 
It's a foreshadowing of our ability to find rest in our relationship with Jesus, not because we've done everything right, not because we haven't done things wrong, but it's a resting place for Jacob. God says, I'm not just the God of Abraham. I'm not just the God of Isaac. I'm also the God of Jacob. And it's that concept. It's that grace truth that reaches out to people to encourage them, no matter what you're facing or what your condition is, God has a solution. God has an answer. Jesus himself is our resting place. Being in relationship with him. Being loved by him. Trusting him. Even Jesus' enemies recognized his connection to people who weren't living right or well or responsibly. They called him the friend of sinners. That was, that was who Jesus was known um, to basically his enemies. And Jesus um, offers us, oh yeah, listen to this offer, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And so when I see Jacob using that rock as a pillow, it's like he's found a resting place for his soul, for the turmoil inside of him as he's running in in fear and isolation and loneliness for his life. Then Jesus says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So these verses more than imply there's a spiritual resting place for Jacob, but not just this Jacob, you Jacob. Jacob's everywhere. God's not just the God of Abraham, the God of faith. He's not just the God of Isaac, the God of the fulfilled promise. And he's not just the God of Israel, the transformed Jacob, but he's also the God of Jacob. And he proudly calls himself that. So there's an open door of rest and love for every con man, every striver, every schemer, everyone whose mind has worn him out. How many people out there in television land, you've been worn out in your mind through the last four months? Raise your hand. I see that hand all over the Queen City Church Network. But this is a prophetic promise that all the Jacobs of this world have a resting place in Jesus. But ultimately, now we have to hear this because that's not the whole story. Ultimately, that resting place, that relationship with Jesus is the first step into transformation. Come as you are, but find your true identity. Our relationship with Jesus is not just a matter of forgiveness. It's about transformation so that every Jacob doesn't just find peace. They find their ultimate identity in a change of life. That's my first point. Yes, yes. All right. Now. When, when you talk about rest, you see that by type. I don't know if any of this was going through Jacob's mind, but by type, it tells us that rest is the key to revelation. When we're anxious, 
it distracts us from lots of times the communication God wants to make with us. That's why anxiety really is a real, it's a real enemy. We, we have to overcome anxiety. So let's see what happens after Jacob finds this rest. We go into Genesis 28 again, verse 12. Then he dreamed. And behold, a ladder was set upon the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. Verses 13 and 14 and 15 are promises. I'm not going to read again, but they're basically the uh, God's promises to, to the patriarch of land, descendants, and a seed that blessed the earth. And also a promise like this, and I believe this is a promise God makes to all of us. I know he does. Jesus said, for I will never leave you nor forsake you. Those are two different operations, meaning he will not only always be with us, but he will never adapt an attitude toward us of forsaking us in any situation. And that's the same promise God gave Jacob. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done everything I've spoken to you. So after Jacob found a place of rest, he entered into a revelatory encounter with the Lord and he he discovered several things. He discovered heaven and earth are connected by in a picture formed by what has been known as Jacob's ladder. Now, this is a very interesting concept. And um, you may have to bear with me here. I want, you, I want you to think through what I'm going to talk to you about. When Jacob saw that ladder, angels were ascending. Which direction is ascending? Going up, or if you're going up, you're going up from here. Ascending and descending on this ladder. Angels were using that ladder. The Bible tells us that they're ministering spirits for the heirs of salvation. Angels' jobs are to help us, protect us, keep us. Um, the Bible tells us that they respond to the word of God. There are a number of different uh, uh, characteristics or, or descriptions of what these angels do. Um, but Jacob's ladder was a ladder that he saw by revelation in a dream where angels were going up and down. And even um, conservative common, uh, commentators talk about that ladder as a confirmation of heaven's desire and activity in the earth. And we can see the order of those angels is to go in the heavenly realm, lay hold of what we need, bring it back. We, all, we, we can also maybe perceive that it's, it's um, a realm of communication because God stood above that ladder and spoke down through that dimension, so to speak. So, Jacob's ladder. This may be hard to grasp, but when you have Jesus in your life, you have access to heaven's help. The Lord revealed to Jacob this ladder between heaven and earth. Angels ascending and descending meaning that we have angelic help. They see what we need. They can obtain it for us. They can bring it back to us. Then we find in the New Testament, who is that ladder? Jesus is that ladder. In an encounter with a man named Nathaniel, Jesus told him this. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open. Who's in the room? Somebody say heaven open. Heaven open. Actually, the Vince, Vince, that's a combination of verb and tense. The verb tense there means heaven opened. You shall see heaven, let's say it this way, as having been opened. You shall see heaven as having been opened. And then Jesus adopts to himself the concept of Jacob's ladder and angels of God doing what? Ascending and what? Descending upon what? No, upon who? The Son of Man. And so what we have here is Jesus says, I am Jacob's ladder. I am the access point. I am the one who goes in and out of heaven. Now, if you follow this logic through, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, when the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you, in essence, by this picture or this type, have a ladder that goes from heaven to earth inside your being. Can you hear that? This may sound strange, but I believe it's absolutely true. And you discover that heaven is open. It's not closed. It's open. Um, the enemy wants you to close, think it's closed. The enemy wants you to think you don't have access. The enemy wants to fill you with all the um, toxicity that's going on in our nation right now to, to distract you away from the God who approves you, accepts you, receives you, restores you, releases to his blessing and his goodness. Because if you get that toxic, if you get that stuff in you, if you get that accusation, if you get that spirit of criticism and hostility, it will absolutely produce in you the opposite of knowing and having faith to see that heaven is open on your behalf, that God is releasing to you everything you need. Heaven's open. So how many of you have Jesus in your heart? Well, you, you have Jacob's ladder. What is the ladder? A ladder is a vehicle of access. It's in two places at the same time, where you are, where you want to be. So when you have the reality of Christ in your life, you are in two places at the same time. You're where you know you are in the earth, but you are also in the place that you may want to be, which is a dimension with Jesus that sets you above the snake line of all the confusion and hostility and back and forth in this world. Above the snake line. Seated in the heavens, Paul would say it that way. Raised up together, seated with him, above, not beneath. Where are you? Are you viewing the things in this world from the earthly perspective? Are you viewing these things from a kingdom perspective, an eternal perspective, a long perspective? Heaven's open. And then it comes to this, and this is what I love so much about these verses. Genesis 28, 16 and 17. Christopher, is that back up there? Do we have verse 16 and 17 up there? 
Verse 16 starts out this way. Then Jacob awoke. How many people are sleepwalking right now? How many of them are sleepwalking? What, what is that zombie series, Walking Dead? How many people are in some zombie state because they've had their brain battered? Because they've been feeding at the wrong place. Jacob awoke. When he woke up, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. I know there are people listening to me. I know there are people who think God's not with them. Wake up. It's time to wake up. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. I go to bed at night. Do you know what I, I say to myself when I go to bed at night? Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. Here's why. You have to remind yourself of valuable things our enemy tries to steal from us. But Jacob woke up. Jacob woke up. He snapped to it. Man, it's like sometimes if somebody, it's just like, have you ever seen your children just be off in some delusional rambling rant and it's like you almost have to grab them and I don't mean shake them like hurt them, but so get their attention that they just sort of have to snap out of that mindset and pay attention to living in the now. Here's your focal point. Here's a concept that can change your life. Just like Jacob discovered. And I recommend you repeating this over and over. And I don't care how redundant I get. You need to tell yourself this. God is in this place. And I knew it not. What place is that? Well, it was where the sun set in Jacob's life. The sun sets everywhere, ladies and gentlemen. You don't have to go to some special geographical location to discover, oh my goodness, I didn't realize it. But God is in this. There's something in this good for me. There's a benefit. There's a blessing. God is working all these things for my well-being, the well-being of my family, even, let's say, the well-being of our country and our nation. This thing's not over yet, ladies and gentlemen. This thing can turn around. That's the focal point. God is in this place, and I didn't know it. Wherever the sun sets, Jesus said the kingdom's inside of us. The kingdom is near. God is looking for worshipers too. What kind of worshipers? Worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth, not just in Jerusalem or not on this mountain with the woman at the well, but wherever the sun sets, God can meet us anywhere, change us anywhere. God is not bound by geography. God is a spirit and he is anywhere you will wake up. God is in this place, Jacob said, and I didn't even know it. Woman said to me, God can't be. If God was here, you'd know it. No, maybe you're too dull. Maybe, maybe you're too full of things that have clouded your mind. Maybe you've permeated with the natural carnal ways and God himself is there and you don't see him. Wake us up, Lord. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. 
How awesome is this place? He was out in the middle of nowhere. Here's his conclusion. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Some people want a manual, a how-to book of rules and principles, but instead we have Emmanuel, God with us, a living relationship with God in his presence, his fullness of joy. I stole that Emmanuel from someone preaching somewhere else. I don't remember who it was, but I didn't want to act like it was mine because that's really good. In his presence is fullness of joy at his right hand, pleasures forevermore. God being with us and not knowing it, losing the sense of his presence is a shame. God's in this place and I didn't know it. God's in this place and I didn't realize it. Where? Wherever the sun sets. God is in your life. God is in your life right now. Here's what happened. You're not going to keep up with this. But revelation brings possibility. Oh, is that possible? Possibility births acknowledgement. You acknowledge the possibility. Acknowledgement grows awareness. You become even more and more aware of whatever you're focused on. And awareness and accurate perception will literally bring the presence of God back into your life. God is in this place, Jacob said, and I didn't know it. Appreciation and awareness of God increases your participation with his presence, fullness of joy, pleasures for every more. Oh, man. Jacob's ladder, Jesus himself. God's in this place. Do you know it? You're seated in heaven. Do you know it? You're in a place of the acceptance of God. Do you know it? The kingdom of God. The forgiveness of God. He wants to captivate us with his wonder and then capture us in our devotion and then transform us. Who wants to stay this way? Who wants to live beneath the dignity of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, in essence, came not for us, but as us. Oh, surely he came for us, but he came to show us who we are. He came to show us who we are. That's the dignity we're called to, the dignity of the Son of Man. Yes, God is in this place, and you can know it. I want to welcome... uh, Tanner Fink, he's going to um, provide us with our communion. I'm so glad. And I'm going to pray, Lord, as they set up. Thank you, thank you. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the encouragement of the scripture. And um, we just pray that you would bless Tanner as he comes. Bless you, Tanner. In Jesus' name. I'm going to use this chair over here. That's great. Thank you, Robin. Um, 
It's so good to be here. I haven't been in this physical location since, gosh, maybe February, <laughs> maybe even January. <laughs> all, all that travel time, so it's great to be back. Um, I'm just imagining all of your faces out in the audience. So good to <laughs> see you in my mind. <laughs> well, I'm just here to bring the offering this morning, or the communion, rather. Um, and I don't know if you're like me, but my mind has been all over the place, uh, caring about, um, a multitude of things, dwelling on a multitude of things. And I think one thing that's, um, been pretty consistently escaping my mind is that I have value in the Lord and that is, my utmost importance is that I, I have value in the Lord and that the Lord has, that I was the joy set before the Lord, that he endured the cross. And that is not just as like a general population, but it's an individual thing that each person is, was the joy that was set before the Lord. And I was thinking about that in terms of communion this morning. Um, I was reading a a book by Tozer called And He Dwelt Among Us. And there's this chapter on John 3.16 that he was talking about how he didn't want to write it because it was, you know, John 3.16 can be a bit cliche, can be a bit uh, even broad, if you really think about it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Uh, it's just such a broad painting, but very commonly, commonly quoted or prayed. Um, but that in this moment for me right now, and the way Tozer wrote it has, has deep importance that we are an individual in the sight of the Lord and that we are the purpose that the Lord went to the cross, that the Lord broke his body, that the Lord spilt his blood. And we get to sit in that in this moment, in a moment where there is a very little rest in, in, in just sitting and waiting but I think I'm so thankful that the Lord tells us to sit and wait patiently and to wait with a hope. And I'm, I'm really thankful for that because where there is a, a time, uh, like now where if you want to gather a certain sense of hopelessness, it's not hard to do that. But I'm so thankful that the Lord is so quick to rush in and bring love and bring hope and bring the just the sweet embrace of of an individual sense of love. So I'm just going to um, uh, pray really quick, and we'll take uh, some elements. I have uh, some bread and wine. Uh, I hope you've got something at home. Uh, if not, I'm going to pray just a bit. That should give you enough time to grab something. So, Lord, I'm so thankful. that we were the joy set before you. I'm even going to say that, Jesus, I individually 
was the joy set before you, God. I ask you to make that not a prideful thing, Lord Jesus, but I ask you to give me and to each person that's watching this or that's in the room right now, just the acceptance that I have value to you, that I am an individual to you, Lord, that I was the joy set before you, that you endured the cross, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, for spilling your blood and for having your body be broken willingly and then raising up and and giving us a hope for the future, Lord Jesus. So in the name of Jesus, I take uh, your body, which was broken. Thank you, Lord. I take your blood, which was poured out. And Lord, as we remember daily that you love us individually, God asks that we would understand how you advocate for us daily. Lord Jesus, and I ask you that you would give us a zeal and a clarity to advocate for our brothers and sisters as individuals in this world today. Lord, that just as you love us, you love each person in the world, Lord. I ask you, Father, to give us zeal to advocate for each brother and sister, Lord, for folks that are having a hard time remembering their uh, individual individuality to you, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you love that you love us, that you endured the cross for us, Jesus. Amen. Robin, if you want to jump back. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tanner. That was special. How did you feel the Lord on that? It's really good. Okay, folks, God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for joining with us. And uh, we love you. We miss you. And I'm sure we'll see you soon. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.